Hey y'all, welcome to another episode of Be Kind Rewind, this is your Disney Plus movie podcast. This is the throwback episode where Scott Gardner and I sat down and talked about the very first Disneyland episode ever to air on TV. So I hope y'all enjoy it. Bye. this timeless land, one of these many worlds will open to you. Welcome everyone to a very special episode of Be Kind Rewind. This is your Disney movie podcast. I am of course Dan Teets and in with us tonight is a good friend and a friend of the show, Scott Gardner, who has come in to actually show his um, knowledge on the movie that we are going to be talking about tonight. So, Scott, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me again. Hey, it's my pleasure. I, I defer to people who have more knowledge on things Disney when it comes to stuff like this than I have, because I've never been to Disneyland, which is where we are talking about tonight. But, um... I figure I'll get a subject matter expert in, as they call it, in the field, who can talk about it better and more knowledgeably than I can. <laughs> well, uh, I, 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 I'm a little bit nervous with the label of expert. I, I will say that I'm, I'm very enthusiastic and very passionate about the subject, um, but there are, you know, most definitely people that are that are much more knowledgeable on the on the subject than I. Uh, I, I'll also point out that. Uh, you know the the what we're going to look at tonight. You know what we're going to talk about. You know this first episode of the the Disneyland TV show uh, predates uh, my uh, arrival on Earth by 14 years, so I wasn't around for this. <laughs> so you know I'm I'm you know a, a fan after the fact too. So that that needs to be taken into account. But you know I'm sure that there's you know still lots of folks out there that uh you know that were little kids glued to their TV sets watching this you know for the first time that you know that have those memories and I'm I'm quite jealous of them because this must have been quite the thing to see you know live for the very first time on TV yeah and for those of you who are playing along at home we are talking about the Disneyland what was it? Was it called Wonderful World of Disneyland? No, that was Wonderful World of Disney. What was the actual title yeah. for? Uh, it was just called Disneyland. Um, okay. it, it later became the Wonderful World of Disney. It actually went through several name changes over the years. It was uh, Disneyland. It was Wonderful World of Color. Um, uh, Wonderful World of Disney. Uh, Walt Disney Presents. There were several different uh, names and iterations, but. Uh, but yeah, it was. Uh, I'm not sure where it stands these days as far as you know world records or what. But I remember at one time it held some sort of record or something for like one of the longest or the longest running uh, like anthology series or so, some mm. distinction like that. But I, again, I have no idea if it still holds that distinction or not. But I mean, it ran for literally decades. I mean, there's 
uh, you know, lots of folks that, that grew up with, you know, Walt Disney every Sunday night or, you know, whatever, uh, I, I think later they changed them to different airing dates, but, you know, that, that grew up, you know, generationally, you know, they grew up and then their kids grew up, you know, watching, uh, you know, Disney programming, you know, every week on TV. I, I know, I, I remember them being out, even though I didn't grow up, uh, a Disney kid necessarily. I do remember, you know, Wonderful World of Disney being on and I, I still have a fondness for, you know, the, the opening segment because those would change over the years too. You know, the, the openings to the show, you know, the, the, the theme, I guess you'd call it. Um, you know, everybody kind of has their, their personal favorites, you know, from how they changed over the years. Um, I really like this one though. Again, even though I didn't grow up with, with the opener to, you know, how this show opens, uh, I, I'm a real sucker for it. I, I love the look of it. Well, the opener that we are talking about is Tinkerbell sprinkling a little pixie dust and then the curtain open. Mm-hmm. And when we had originally talked about doing this show, there was, there actually is a episode on the Disney Plus app, which is the, I think it's like the pre-opening peek behind the curtain or something to that effect yeah yeah that one's odd because i i initially thought that that was this episode and i think i may have even told you that you know off air said uh hey by the way you can you can watch it on disney plus and i was wrong and the reason i was confused on that is um the second half of this show uh, where Walt comes in after the commercial break and he's got the big book and he starts talking about Mickey that from that point on, it's basically the second half of this episode. That second half was rerun um, as the second half of the pre-opening report on Disneyland. Um, I don't think the Disneyland TV show did that very often where they would repeat segments, but they did. So while the first half of the pre-opening report is is a completely different program, the second half is the second half from this program. So that's why I was confused because I remember watching it on Disney Plus at some point, and I remembered you know him coming out and you know talking about Mickey and all of that. Um, so I was thinking that it was this program. Unfortunately, this one is not uh, on the Disney Plus app. Um, I find there's very little. Uh, Disneyland programming on that app, and that's that's disappointing because there, there's tons of great stuff. Um, you know, whether it's old episodes of you know this TV show or whatever, there's there's so much classic uh, material on both Walt Disney World and uh, Disneyland. You know, making of the the parks and the attractions and um, so much stuff out there that they could really mine for that app. I'm a little bit at a, at a loss as to why they don't have more of it out there, but hopefully they're working on it. It, it may be a matter too of, you know, there's going to be, there would be a lot of work to get that stuff up to snuff for the quality that, you know, that people are used to with that app. Cause you know, that stuff looks really, really good. That's on that app. You know, it's uh, you know, much of it is uh, you know, 4k and you know, surround sound and all that sort of thing. So, you know, a lot of these old, episodes of tv shows or you know they're grainy and you know they're they're full of dirt and grit and you know they really need to be digitally clean so maybe maybe they're doing that i don't know but i I just wish more of it was available but growing as somebody that actually grew up when wonderful world of disney was on i wouldn't mind seeing it gritty and grimy and dirty honestly just (laughs) just to have it on and so that way when my son's like, Daddy, what are you doing tonight? Oh, well, I'm sitting down to watch an episode of Disneyland because I'm getting ready to cover a um, 
getting ready to do it on my podcast. And he'll be like, oh, well, let's sit down and watch it. <laughs> because now that the Muppets are actually on Disney+, Plus, the original, which ran from like 75 to 80-something, mm-hmm. I actually sat down and watched about two-thirds of the first episode, not realizing that half of the skits that I re- re- remember were actually in that one episode. Like, <laughs> they had the Menomina, which... For those right. of you who don't know what that is, just go to Disney Plus, pull up Muppets. You only have to watch maybe five minutes of the show, and you will know exactly what I'm talking about. But, <laughs> I mean, my wife came in at like 20 minutes, and she's like, what are you watching? And I'm like, this is Muppets. <laughs> this, is what, this is what I grew up with. Which, looking back on it now, I didn't actually grow up with it, because I was born in 75, and... <laughs> I mean, my family had three channels until I was 22, and we <laughs> hardly ever watched Muppets, but somehow I knew about it. Just right. like just like with the Disney movies that we cover on the on the um, podcast, I knew about them. And if it was something that was on on a Sunday afternoon when my dad didn't want to watch golf or didn't want to watch baseball or it wasn't football season. That would be what would be on. It'd be something that you'd run in, catch a few minutes, and run out with. Right. So that's part of that's part of the reason why I'm excited that they've at least got the pre-opening because, like you said, they may be cleaning it up in the background, and in right. 15 years they'll have all 6,000 <laughs> episodes up and ready for us old geezers to sit back and. Watch. Well, I mean, there there is at least a, a DVD quality version of this out there because. Um, back several years ago when Disney was doing, they, they did a whole series of DVDs called Walt Disney Treasures. And they were these wonderful, um, they were two disc collections and they came in these, these little tin cases that like, they were like snapped together, like snap tight metal cases. And there was a whole series of them. And in the very first wave, um, there was one that was just simply called Disneyland USA. Um, I have that one in my collection, and it's it's one of my cherished uh, Disney items, you know, one of my cherished DVDs. And on there, um, amongst all the other programs and special features and everything, is this episode. And so it's at least in DVD quality. Um, that's probably the best way to watch this. Um, the, the couple of different... Um, postings of it that I've seen out there on YouTube. I don't know what source they're coming from, but they they looked really bad to me. They looked you know very grainy and and that sort of thing. So evidently that DVD um, you know has you know the quality of that DVD has not made its way to YouTube yet, <laughs> unfortunately. But um, but if you can track down uh, you know that DVD uh, and they're they're not inexpensive, unfortunately. Um, but if you can track it down, you know that's you know that's really a, a great way to see it. They're definitely worth uh, worth your time, and depending on what price you pay, they're worth <laughs> your money too. I highly recommend them. And for those of you who are interested in Disneyland USA, we are going to be covering that hopefully on next week's episode. So y'all stick around, and we'll dive into that one, just mm-hmm. like we're getting ready to dive into this one. Now, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. One thing that I was a little intrigued by because i actually watched the pre-opening and then when you told me that we were going to be covering the actual first episode i went and watched mm-hmm. that one the 
the first actual episode didn't have a um, sponsored by because it on, may not be included with the episode, but I can't imagine it wasn't sponsored by mm-hmm. somebody. But yeah, you're right. The the the, uh, the pre-opening report episode has like commercials included and and little um, tags with sponsors and and that sort of thing. And the copies I've seen, you know, the the videos or whatever I've seen out there of uh, of this first episode don't have any of that. It just when it goes to commercial or whatever, it just goes black and then comes back. But it may just be that they they're not you know they're not included or maybe they're not in existence anymore. But I can't imagine that there there weren't sponsors of some kind. I, I don't know who they would have been though. Well, it kind of it kind of did my heart good because one of the sponsors for the pre-opening was actually the Hudson Motor Cars. Right. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, I actually know about these cars. And then when they actually did the little break between the first part and the second part, which was the rerun from the first episode, they talked about how you could actually win, or I'm sorry, your parents could actually win a trip for three to Disneyland, which three (laughs) is like the weirdest number to give away anything. Because what if you've got a younger brother? What are you supposed to do with him? (laughs) Or your parents can win a car and a trip for three to Disneyland. And I was just like, well, that's kind of cool, but I'm not quite sure how that would work if you're a family of five or six or ten, like was right. still happening back in the 50s when this actually hit. One way or the other, mom and dad are going to end up spending money to get somebody in and buy buy tickets for them if you know if if they had more than one child, you know, if they were more than just a you know a three member family. Yeah, I was watching something the other day and I. It was probably Disneyland 59, but I'm struggling to remember now. But I was watching something the other day that that did have commercials included with it. Um, So some of the shows that are out there, some of the programs that are out there do still have at least some of the bumpers and some of the the commercial stuff with them. Um, Just this particular one doesn't seem to, at least the copies I've seen. Yeah, the copy that you sent me was probably the one that you watched when you were doing prep for the for the actual for the show because you had actually well, i dug no. out my, i dug out my dvds actually i i, <laughs> I stand corrected i forgot you have the dvds <laughs> i'm the poor man who has to use youtube for right now <laughs> okay well let's let's get into the show itself because we've already spent 15 minutes talking about the first what 45 <laughs> seconds and the and the bumper that actually so <laughs> And and I figured that would get a, get a little giggle. Um, now I was trying to the the show actually starts with a flyover, which I don't know. Well, it was a flyover of the actual Disney Studios because there was no actual Disneyland when the first episode hit. It, it was under construction. Yeah, it 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 strikes me as a little bit odd that uh, Walt mentions you know when he shows the the. Uh, the drawing of Disneyland up on the wall, which is a conceptual drawing that's close, but also very different from how the park actually wound up looking. Mm-hmm. Um, but he says, you know, here it is from such and such thousand. I think he says 2000 feet in the air, something like that. And 10 months away. Well, I don't know when this was filmed, but by the time it actually aired on, uh, it was October 27th, 1954, the park would actually open in less than nine months. 
So I, I don't know what the there must have been some serious lag time between the time they filmed it and the time it actually aired. I guess I, I don't know either that or Walt's math was off one of the two. But yeah, I mean it's pretty amazing to think that um, you know the park was still you know really in 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 a rough sketch. You know it was kind of a, just a skeleton you know starting to to you know get the flesh and, and everything put onto it. And less than nine months later, it, it would open, you know, as, as a more or less finished project. That's that's amazing to think about, you know, these days when, you know, something like, say, Tron, for example, at, at Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World has been under construction for what? It's got to be two years now, you know, and still isn't open yet. And it's not going to be open on time. You know, the, the, they could build an entire theme park, <laughs> you know, in less than a year. It's, it's pretty amazing. Well, and you I know, think. And, and, Go ahead. No, it's just the fact that, you know, not only did they build it in less than a year, but it still stands. You know, yes, it's changed a bit, but more or less, it's still the same park, you know, 60 <laughs> some years later. And, you know, it, it's it's stood up, you know, to that test of time being constructed in less than a year. That's that's amazing to me. Well, I think the reason why back in the 50s you could have a park built nine months and now in 2021, it takes two years to actually build one ride. Is the fact that I don't think you had quite as many unions that you had to worry about. People were working longer <laughs> shifts and they were trying to get things done because they were kind of under the gun because Walt Disney had already said these things were coming out. Am I right? Would right. That be, that, would that be part of the reason why that you would think it would be? Well, that, that's a big part of it is, yes, the world has completely changed and, you know, things sadly don't run as efficiently or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I, I think a lot of it, too, is uh, Walt in his way w was very similar to, say, someone like Robert Moses, who was able to get things done seemingly just through the through his sheer willpower. You know, he wanted it and was single mindedly focused on it and basically just willed it into creation. And that's kind of how Disneyland came about. And you can see that with this show. Um, I mean, the entire reason that Disneyland, the TV show exists and Walt kind of sort of talks about it, but not, you know, not really the nuts and bolts of it. He just mentions that, you know, he, he has a line in, in this episode, something to the effect of, you know, you're going to find that Disneyland, the TV show, and Disneyland, the place, are all part of the same. What he's not telling you is that he didn't really want to do television. Um, you know, he was a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. And filmmakers back during the the golden age of television, you know, when, when television was in its infancy, they were scared of television. They really feared that TV would kill the cinema experience, you know, that people would stop going to the movies. Uh, because they could just stay home and watch television. <laughs> and Walt wasn't quite as fearful as some of the other Hollywood bigwigs, but he he wasn't really crazy about television either. And the whole reason that Disneyland, the TV show, even became a thing was because he, and, and this is so hard for us today in, in 2021 to imagine, but there was a time when the Walt Disney Company was a scrappy little, you know, for all intents and purposes, a little mom and pop operation, you know, that didn't have, 
you know, billions of dollars in capital. They didn't even have millions of dollars in capital. You know, they were really, um, what is the term? Um, Independent. Hand hand to fist is that the term? I'm I'm trying to you know fist to mouth. They, they were just you know, if that's it you know and just you know really kind of getting you know getting by, and they didn't have you know these these huge you know this huge capital to play with like like they do today you know where where mm-hmm. Disney is you know buying Lucasfilm and buying Marvel and they've got all this this money to play with to do out you know that that is so far removed from how Walt was during most of his lifetime. It really wasn't until the last few years of his life that he started to actually have that kind of financial power to do all the things he wanted to do. At this time, it was, you know, beg and borrow from basically anybody and everything that he could to generate the cash for his ideas, you know, including things like, uh, you know, mortgaging his own life insurance and things like that. Um, so in order to get the capital that he needed in order to fulfill this dream of Disneyland, he had to compromise and he had to partner with people. And so he ended up partnering with, um, I believe it was initially ABC television to produce a weekly TV series. And that's really where Disneyland, the TV show came from, is that that was his compromise (laughs) that, you know, he agreed to do it uh, and, you know, to create TV content in order, uh, you know, and the the deal was, of course, that the the network would then uh, finance, I think, was a third or half of the part, some, some, you know, big amount. It was enough, you know, to, to then get the dream going and, you know, get the park built. Um, but without the TV show, you know, the, the park in, in so many ways, I mean, not only wouldn't it have gotten the financing, um, but without, I don't think without the TV show, I don't, I really don't think the park would have been, um, the success that it was because, you know, now was Walt's opportunity to speak directly to, you know, a, a, a national audience every single week mm-hmm. and while not every single episode of you know the disneyland tv show was focused on the parks he made sure to keep peppering you know it starts right in this very first episode you know it's talking about the park you know disneyland the place and then periodically he would pepper in other things about the park. you know he did you know progress reports on the construction he did the pre-opening report there was a huge um, opening day. Uh, Dateline Disneyland is uh, is the opening of the park broadcast on live national television that reached something like, I want to say like 59 million people or something at a time where there were only three channels on television. <laughs> so it meant that most everybody that was watching TV that day was watching that broadcast. And it, and it had a, an effect on the national psyche. It became part of pop culture. You know, it was one of those things like the moon landing or, or the Kennedy assassination. People n- remembered where they were, you know, and what they were doing when they when they saw that episode of, of the, you know, Disneyland. So it, you know, he was very smart in the marketing rather than fear television as, you know, these other Hollywood moguls did. He embraced it in the aspect of he, he realized he could use it. If he had to, if he had to deal with television, then he was going to mold it and he was going to use it 
his way to his benefit. And wow, yeah, yeah, he did. You know, not only did he successfully market himself and his product and his park, um, but then, you know, we get just a little taste of it in this episode with Davy Crockett. I've often wondered, did Walt know that that he had, you know, lightning in a bottle with Davy Crockett? Because we get just a little taste of it here. But I mean, shortly that would become a national phenomenon, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Davy Crockett episodes of, of the Disneyland TV show. And uh, yeah, so I mean, it pretty it's a pretty magical time in, in Disney history. It's a very pivotal time, you know, in, in Disney history. There was a lot riding on this and not a lot of people um, believed in his dream. But I, one of the reasons I really like this episode a lot is um, the portions of the episode where Walt is in it and he's talking. His excitement is palpable. He's he's like a kid and you can see it. He's smiling. He's energetic. He's he's almost quivering with excitement. And that's fun to watch. You know, that's that's really fun. And it, and it makes him very lovable and very endearing and I, and I think that's again why people of that generation many of them referred to him as Uncle Walt because that's kind of just that's what he exudes you know and uh and it kind of helped create the 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 mystique and mythos you know of, of Walt that you know a lot of people still hold dear yeah I'm and once again you said you hadn't you were like 15 years from being even born. Yeah, of. I was even born. Yeah, and I'm 20 <laughs> years from being born, so we're about five years apart. But I mean, I could definitely see the the reason why a kid would get excited just watching the updates. Because I mean, when when I saw the the pre open drop, and you had told me about it on when we were talking about doing another episode, it was it it actually it got me excited to wish that I could hop in a DeLorean and go back to that time right. because because it's one of it's one yeah, of those the... things that you don't nowadays you've got a amusement park on every corner in Orlando and you've got what <laughs> three or four in California so right. it's it's it and I think this was actually what started the the theme park being a place that you would actually go to to have a vacation because before it would be like you drive down the road to Hershey Park or something like that. You wouldn't spend more than a day or two days if you drove for six or eight hours. It wasn't well, somewhere yeah, where you... yes, yes and no. I mean, well, you know, retroactively, you know, Disneyland has adopted the name of of Disneyland Resort, but that that came much later. Um. Disneyland didn't really have the the size or the or the infrastructure to support going to as a as a standalone um, vacation destination. That that's really more Walt Disney World. That was that was really Walt's you know one of Walt's big ideas with Walt Disney World when that came along was that. Um, it would be a, a vacation destination because um, hmm. he, he saw what he had with Disneyland. And um, this is kind of going a, a whole different direction, but it's, <laughs> you know, he, he had he had his success with Disneyland, but he also felt a bit stymied with Disneyland because he, he didn't con- he didn't own and could not control the environment outside the berm of Disneyland. You know what what he had was was Disneyland itself. So, 
you know, there was there wasn't that control there that he wanted. So when he got the opportunity to do it again, uh, you know, he wanted to do it a particular way. You know, do it do it better. He was always looking to plus the experience, mm-hmm. and so that's why he bought up you know, all the, the acreage that he bought in Florida for Walt Disney World because he wanted a place that would be, you know, what you're talking about, that vacation destination, that it would be, you know, we're not going to, you know, like in Anaheim, you know, you'd go to, to Disneyland and you might do Disneyland for a day, but there were other things eventually, you know, not mm-hmm. not at this time, but eventually there were other sites and attractions and things to do. You know, I mean, it was California, you know, there's Hollywood and all these <laughs> other things. Um, so Disneyland wasn't necessarily, you know, the, the be all and end all, uh, as far as a, a vacation, uh, destination type of thing. Plus Disneyland, I think even today, um, while obviously, um, you know, in its early days and during its real heyday, obviously people did travel to Disneyland from all over the country and in, indeed all over the world. But for the most part, um, Disneyland is still much more a local phenomenon. Um, you know, it's, it's primarily, you know, it's bread and butter is it's, it's California natives, you know, the, the people that, that, that live and work, you know, right around that area and everything. Um, so I, I don't, I don't know if that really answers the question, but I mean, you're, you're right, you know, in that, you know, eventually down the road it, it would evolve into something you know where you could go and um you know make it a vacation destination but i, I don't i don't think that was really the case um early on or actually for for many years um I, I don't they just didn't really have the the infrastructure to support that um you know when i've been out there a couple of times of course you know we did stay for multiple days and that's mm-hmm. pretty much all we did was disneyland but i can tell you in in the many conversations I've had with, you know, with, with friends, uh, that have also gone out there. Um, they all invariably seem to be just shocked that I've been out to California twice now and stayed for, you know, multiple days each time and didn't do anything but Disneyland. They, they were shocked by that. They're like, you know, to them, Disneyland is like an afternoon. Hmm. To me, it was like I couldn't get enough of it. You know, I I, yeah, I spent, you know, the first time we were there, I spent five days. And the second time, I think we spent six or seven days. And I, I went every single day and I, I could I could still keep going. I, there was just so much to see and do. And I, I couldn't get enough of it. But for most folks, it's, you know, it's a day. It's an afternoon. Um, so it doesn't it just doesn't have that, you know. This is where we're going. We're going to stay for several days, and and you know this is the vacation thing that that Walt Disney World does. Well, and I actually I kind of, the reason why I thought that it was a destination vacation I think plays back mm-hmm. to that commercial where you and a, you and two people can go to Disneyland and you get a car. So I don't know if that meant you had to drive your car right. there or. Whether and then whether that was a one day, a two day, or what? Because Probably, it didn't actually yeah, back, go into any of the details. Yeah, back during that time, more than likely, because Anaheim, you know, for the for the first little, and I don't know how long it took. I wouldn't imagine it took terribly long, but when Disneyland opened um, out there, I mean, it was that was pretty much it. It's it's impossible to imagine today for somebody like me who's only ever seen it, you know, modern day. Mm-hmm. But back when it first opened, I mean, 
that's all it was. It had been, you know, a, a year prior, it had been orange groves, you know, and now here is this um, theme park in the middle, basically in the middle of nowhere. You know, there was nothing around it. Um, but it didn't take long before, you know, a, a whole environment sprung up around it to support its success, you know, uh, motels and hotels and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, fast food restaurants and all that. But that all of that, of course, lends into why uh, Walt really started to get irritated and, and frustrated with the, the environment around it because he couldn't control it. Um, he didn't want what he called visual intrusions. Um, which is something that's really hard for somebody like me who is, you know, who, who is introduced to Disney theme parks first through Walt Disney World um, to get used to when you go out to Disneyland is that, you know, when you're at Walt Disney World, um, there is no real world. You, mm -hmm. Because you're isolated on property, you don't see like, you know, for example, if you ride the Astro Orbiter, for example, you don't see I-4 or you don't see a neighboring community or the golden arches of McDonald's or something like that, you go and you ride certain rides that, that have a certain height elevation in Disneyland and you see the street, you know, you see the hotels across the road, you see the, the restaurants and you see, um, yeah, I, I don't know the names of the roads, but you can see <laughs> the environment outside the gate. And Walt hated that, that made him crazy because it took away from the immersion of the experience. You know, theme park uh, enthusiasts act like immersion is some new thing. I, I'm hearing it so much lately, you know, when people talk about Harry Potter over at Universal Studios or if they talk about, uh, you know, Galaxy's Edge or something like that in Disney or, uh, you know, Pandora at Animal Kingdom. You know, they're, they're throwing around immersion like it's some grand, you know, brand, you know, grand, uh, brand new phenomenon, something that's just come along in the past few years. And it's like, no, immersion was the idea. It goes all the way back to this, to 1954 and, and Walt building Disneyland. That was the idea is that you're walking into his films. Uh, you are being immersed in the, the worlds of Disney. So, you know, that's a very old idea that's gotten a fresh coat of paint, really. Yeah, and yeah. now I've actually, I went to Walt Disney World. I've never been west of the Mississippi, so obviously I've never been to Disneyland. Mm -hmm. And I know you're probably going to kill me, but I have, no in, I have no inclination to go to California just because it's California. And I know I'm probably going to get hate mail well, for that, but. <laughs> well, no, here's the thing. Um, you know, does California really appeal? No, not really. I mean, there, there's a reason why, you know, as I said, you know, we've been out to Disneyland twice now and really didn't see much of California other than the shuttle ride from the airport to Disneyland back and forth, you know, coming and mm -hmm. going. Um, we didn't do anything else. Um do I regret that? Not really. I mean, I enjoyed my time at Disneyland, but although my wife and I have both said, you know, if we go out there again, we would like to schedule in some time to, to see some of the other sites, you know, do some other things. But to me, the, the goal was Disneyland. And when you're there, um, to me, I wasn't in California. I was in Disneyland. And I think that was probably best exemplified um, the last time we were there. Um, I spent a lot of time on Tom Sawyer Island and I was just struck. I mean, just completely struck by 
the magic of the experience of standing at basically the back of the, you know, the back of the island. So basically the back of the park. Mm -hmm. And it was so easy to imagine that I actually was in like the 1800s on the frontier. And because it was quiet, it was serene. Hmm. Every once in a while, this majestic riverboat would go by. And then really the only other sounds I could hear from that vantage point was the train when it would come around. Mm-hmm. And what what an amazing magic trick to pull in the middle of essentially Los Angeles, you know, yeah. that that's a bustling metropolis. I mean, you step outside the gates of that park and you are in a major bustling city. Mm-hmm. That, that's incredible to me, that those two environments that completely do not mesh and don't belong anywhere near each other coexist in that magical little bubble. It's, it's, it's really amazing. So I, I've always encouraged people that, you know, if you're a Disney enthusiast, especially if you're a Walt Disney World fan, you kind of owe it to yourself to make a pilgrimage out to Disneyland at least one time to, you know, to see the original um, for a lot of reasons, um, probably the, the biggest one to me is that, um, it's, it's a different experience. It, it's different because it's the original, um, it's much smaller, it's much more manageable. It's, it's quaint in a way, but not, you know, I, I don't mean that in a bad way. I, I'm, you know, but it's, it has a timelessness to it and, it's funny. I had planned to talk about this in uh, in when we talk about uh, Disneyland USA, but I'll mention it here. The night before we were flying out for our very first time uh, to go to Disneyland, I was rewatching um, shows like like this one. Um, but I remember distinctly uh, the night before I was watching Disneyland USA, uh, which is a wonderful film, and you and I will talk about it at some point. And all of a sudden this, this wave of melancholy just kind of washed over me and I got really depressed and I got to thinking, I'm going to, I'm going to be disappointed with this experience. I I just, (laughs) I I suddenly just really had this wave of like, maybe I'm making a mistake because I'm going to get out there and it's not the 1950s anymore. And so much has changed and, you know, Walt's not alive. So he's not actually going to be there. And it, it kind of cast a pall over the whole thing. But then I got there and it did feel like it was still the 50s. And I know it sounds super corny, but I, I could feel Walt's presence in that park. And I think it was just the knowledge that the man had lived there. You know, he'd actually walked those streets mm-hmm. and... I went armed with, I mean, dozens of pictures that I took with me of places I wanted to visit that were pictures of Walt, like standing in front of this thing or, or, you know, leaning on this rail or whatever, knowing he'd actually been there. So being able to actually go to those physical spots and, and recreate, you know, his stance or, you know, the, you know, that he's standing in front of that, that made it a very, real experience to me and that's something you you cannot get at any other disney park in the world now i I love walt disney world you know i mean i I worked there for 10 years you know i I was absolutely in love with the place 
Um, it, it was my first passion, you know, and it's probably in a lot of ways still my, my big passion when it comes to being a, a Disney enthusiast. But it, it'll never have that. Walt never lived to set foot on that property, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so it'll never have quite that same thing. And, and Walt Disney World is much quicker to change and adapt and morph itself to the 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 whims and the interests and, and you know the the changing uh landscape of of entertainment and and you know different aspects that affect our culture than Disneyland is so Disneyland really you know yes obviously it has changed over the years you know a lot of things have come and gone mm-hmm. uh, and you know and the topography has changed a bit but essentially, at the core, it's still the same park, you know, 60-some years later, and, and that's cool. It, it really holds on very tightly to uh, that nostalgia, and, and I love that about it. Because, you know, the comparison I always use is that, you know, when you walk into the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World, it doesn't feel like it's 1971, but you walk into Disneyland – you know, you walk down Main Street towards that castle and then stand in that hub and it feels like it's 1955. That's the difference between those parks. And, and that's something that, uh, you know, to me, that's that's an experience money just can't buy. I, I love that about it. Well, now getting into the park itself, for some reason, I could have swore that he said there were five different lands. But he said Adventure, uh, Tomorrow, Fantasy and Frontier. Which were the four he, he, that I, each of the that each of the weekly right. shows would pick into? He may have said five. I, I'd have to go. I'd have to rewatch it to see if he said five. Um, he either misspoke or he was counting um, Main Street as a land itself, which which I'm actually okay with. Um, that's a bit of a you know to use a, a a fandom term. That's a bit of a retcon, but I'm okay with that <laughs> because eventually down the road. Um, the the park again you know both Disneyland and Walt Disney World that would change over the years to where they would um, add and subtract realms or lands over time mm-hmm. so like for example at Walt Disney World it, you know just in the time that I've been going and, and in the time that I worked there the monorail spiel changed several times to as to the number of lands. Um, sometimes it was six, sometimes it was more, sometimes it, you know, because hmm. of things that would come and go, you know, areas that would come and go. But Main Street, at least there, was considered to be one of the lands. So it wasn't just, you know, Adventure, Fantasy, Tomorrow, and, and Frontier. There, you know, there were the other lands as well. Now, at the time... Disneyland opened it was it was pretty simple it was just those four major realms um but I I think that's I think that's pretty ingenious you know the way he he set it up that way it may it kept it simple yeah and it was a nice you know more or less you know the lines are a little are a little blurrier than than you know the presentation shows sometimes but essentially it was you know, quarter pies. It was almost like a big pizza, you know, and, and each section was like a quarter of that pie. It wasn't quite that way because 
Frontierland had a much bigger piece of that pie than any of the mm-hmm. other lands did because of the time that it was. You know, westerns were huge, mm-hmm. and uh, and Walt Lee planned to you know to capitalize on the success you know and popularity of of the western, and they did you know for a long time. Well, now I mean I can definitely see Main Street being a land, and now that you said that, it kind of makes sense because that when he described it on both the pre-kickoff and the very first episode he was saying that it was going to be turn of the century 19th into 20th century so that right. that in and of, in and of itself would be a land that you could walk into today and you're automatically in an in a totally different world so to speak. well also I, i'm not sure if this would be true at this time in, in 54 but eventually um Main Street, and again, this is one of those things that's a bit hard to imagine today, but Main Street, in Walt's mind, um, was going to be just as much a land as the other areas of the park as far as um, things to do and attractions, too, Hmm. because initially um, there were going to be – I mean, he he had planned um, expansions and areas of – uh, Main Street that eventually a, lo- a lot of those ideas uh, eventually saw fruition as other things but there was going to be like Edison Square which would be a, a little offshoot of Main Street that you would go and, and explore um, you know as kind of a tribute to, to Thomas Edison and invention mm-hmm. and things that were kind of uh, you know in Walt's mind to be part of Edison Square eventually developed into things like the Carousel of Progress um, and then there were other areas uh, that he wanted to develop um, off of Main Street that eventually developed into things like uh, the Hall of Presidents at uh, at Walt Disney World. So things like that. So you know there were there were always ideas for Main Street, um, you know, including actual attractions. And and I always thought found that very interesting. Um, you know that other than you know off the top of my head, I can only think of like say. Uh, great moments with Mr. Lincoln. Other than that, I, I can't think of a time that w- there was actually really necessarily an attraction on Main Street. Main Street just kind of became that, you know, that that nice nostalgic look back that you passed through as you made your way into the actual attractions of the park, mm-hmm. kind of thing. If you know what I mean. Now, um, Carousel of Progress. That is my favorite ride at Disney World, and I try to ride it at least once whenever I get into the park, which has been mm-hmm. six, seven years, actually seven, eight, maybe closing in on 10 now. But was it actually <laughs> in Disneyland as well? It was. Yeah. So because um, that was, it started that was actually out, part of the 66 world world's fair. So uh, 64, 65. Yeah. It, uh, and that's uh, why I brought you on of, here, Scott. <laughs> it was uh, one of four attractions that uh, that Disney created for the the 64 65 New York World's Fair, and uh, Disney actually brought it to Disneyland after uh, the fair closed, and it was there for a good number of years in in Disneyland. It's funny there's a there's a couple of different um, groups that I'm a part of on Disneyland uh, or on Facebook. I mean that are devoted to like. Uh, vintage disneyland and even to to this day there are people that that lament you know the the move of uh the carousel of progress from disneyland to walt disney world but yeah it moved in 
73, I want to say, um, out to Walt Disney World where it's, uh, where it's, you know, to this very day, it's still there. It's changed a bit over the years, um, yeah. but it's essentially, it's still the same attraction. Those, and I don't know if there was a time when you could actually go on to YouTube and actually sit, well, quote-unquote sit in Carousel of Progress and watch it from beginning to end. I don't know if that's still out <laughs> there or what iteration that is. You mean is, like a live cause... stream? or? Well, no, it, it wasn't a live stream. It was just somebody sitting, like, front row or like middle of the house oh, yeah. center and they were just they just sit there and video it and then oh yeah there's upload it. there's tons of yeah there's tons of ride through videos out there mm-hmm. and uh those are fun to to look at because um you know because the ride has changed uh, mm-hmm. a number of times over the years you know the the basics of the ride are, are the same you know following a family you know through the developments of of technology and in electricity and everything you know through different time periods but it's changed a, a number of times so you know i would encourage you you know if you're you know a big fan of uh, carousel of progress um look at essentially there's there's four different versions to look at um mm. you've got the original 1964-65 New York World's Fair version. Um, you've got the Disneyland version. And then when the carousel first came to Walt Disney World, um, sponsorship changed. Well, at, at the request of the sponsor, GE, um, <laughs> they changed from uh, There's a Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow to Now is the Time. They, they wanted to change their, their focus and their slogan and everything to be more focused on today as, as opposed to looking ahead into the future. So that changed the whole attraction and it was, it was very different. Uh, a lot of the spiel was different and a lot of the narration and such was different. And then eventually of course they, they changed it back sort of to the version that it is today. So they brought back, you know, the, the old song and everything, but even that version is different than the original one. It's more now of a, of an homage to the 64 version as opposed to being literally the same thing because uh, mm. it, it got a new narrator and uh, some, you know, some revision of the script and that sort of thing. But yeah, it's, it's really fascinating to look at the, the evolution of that attraction from what it was at the fair to, you know, where it is today. And um, I'm hearing an awful lot of rumors that uh, I guess they're they're looking at going in and, and changing it again. There was just some announcement about that recently. I want to say Tom Hanks hmm. was bandied about as as being connected to it somehow or other. So, well, that's I don't not know. a we'll bad see. thing because he actually played Walt Disney, so right? I could I, I, I could see Tom one Hanks. Of those yeah, I, I try not to be one of those people that you know, oh, change is bad, and you know, instantly get all up in arms. But but you know, that's <laughs> one of my favorite attractions too. So it, it is going to be, it is going to be tough to see it change. Um, but it's you know, it's overdue for some sort of a refresh, one way or the other. So it'll be interesting to see what comes along. But it's just there's so much great trivia, you know, uh, attached mm-hmm. to that attraction. That's one of the things I love best about it. You know, the the guy that that does the current narration, um, Gene, um, oh gosh, what's his name? Gene uh, Shepard, um, you know, does the narration, uh, for that. You know, he plays the role of the father and everything. Well, you know, he's, uh, you know, he's a famous humorist. He's the one that wrote, um, the book that the movie 
a Christmas story is based on. You know, it's a, now become a you know a perennial Christmas favorite. You know, the Yo Street Jiraiya kid yeah. that movie. Um, and you know, here he is as as the narrator of uh, you know of the Carousel of Progress. I just get such a kick out of that. You know, that well then that that actually makes more sense then <laughs> because I've been I've I mean that ride I've ridden probably ten or fifteen times in the six or seven times that i've been down there and it's just it's one of those rides that you get sad when you go in and see that it's down for maintenance or down for repairs or it's only up during x day y day and christmas right of course you're down there in the middle of august sweating your you know what's off (laughs) and you can't even go and ride that ride well in in the last you know, a little bit. It, it's been open a lot more because you're right. It did fall into that that thing where it was just seasonal and, mm-hmm. and infrequently open and everything. And that that was making a lot of people nervous. When that happens to a ride, typically that's that's signaling the end. You know, that's yeah. that's a signal that this this attraction's not going to be around much longer. And it did suffer from that for a while, but uh, you know, in in my last, I'd say, couple years, uh, you know, working at, at at Walt Disney World, um, yeah, no, it that that you know, it was open regularly. Um, you know, it was it was uh, you know, just as much a, a regular, uh, pretty much everyday attraction as anything else. You know, Buzz Lightyear or any of the other attractions. And see, when you they said. <laughs> when you said there there were rumors, I was like, oh no, please don't tell me that he's about to tell me they're about to shut it down. I, I honestly that... think that that's one of those that, um, at least I want to believe it anyway. I don't know if it's really true, but I, I want to believe that they actually fear shutting that one down mm-hmm. because I think that there would be such an outcry about yeah. that. Um, I mean, that really is a beloved attraction by a lot of people. And it's one of the few things at Walt Disney World that was actually touched by the hand of Walt. I mean, mm-hmm. Walt actually took a very active role in the creation of that attraction. So it's very near and dear to people for that reason, because there's not a lot of actual hand-touched things of Walt at Walt Disney World. Because, again, he, he never lived to walk that property. Uh, but there are bits and pieces, you know, there's the Carousel of Progress, there's pieces of his Carolwood Pacific train, um, you know, things like that. So there, there are bits and pieces here and there uh, around that property. So, you know, I, I hope they always understand how important those pieces are, you know, to keep that Walt connection alive. Well, we're getting... I find we're talking very little about the movie that we, <laughs> that we got. <laughs> and I was actually just about to say that. We've been talking for almost an hour, and I think we've made it through like the first five minutes of the 26 <laughs> minutes that aren't Mickey-related. So, right. I mean, the you hit, you hit the nose, you hit the head. Now my brain shut. Is it Friday yet? <laughs> With Davy Crockett. I actually, I just covered three movies that he did, Fest Parker, in like the last six, seven months, because I covered both of the Davy Crockett special, which led me to believe that Davy Crockett in the second part was actually a zombie, because he dies at the end of the Alamo (laughs) in part three of the miniseries, and yet somehow he comes back to life. And then that also led me to think that after he got done being a zombie, he just moved off to another part of Texas and did Old Yeller. (laughs) 
I think he was also Daniel Boone, if I'm not mistaken. That actor, I mean. Yes, he uh, was. Fence Parker. Yes, he was. Yeah. And I and I don't really understand why that's not on Disney Plus, unless it's not a Disney property. I can't remember. I want to say it is, but I I honestly hmm. don't remember in that particular one. Now, have you ever seen uh, an old 50s movie? I, I couldn't tell you exactly what year it came out, but it is, <laughs> it's a black-and-white 50s movie. It's called Them. It's about giant ants. Have you ever seen that movie? No, I haven't, but now you've piqued my interest. It is a great movie, and, and I mean that seriously. It is a great film. Um, it kind of uh, begat that whole – there was a whole genre of – films in the in the 50s of sci-fi you know more or less cheesy you know low budget sci-fi films um but they were all kind of inspired by them which actually um has its cheesy elements but it was played straight and that's one of the things that's great about the movie is that they they play the whole concept straight that basically um you have to remember the time period you know the, the fear of uh you know the bomb and and everything and and fear of you know atomic things um, the, the long and short of it is that, uh, atomic radiation has mutated ants to gargantuan size. So now, uh, th- these, this one colony of ants are basically the size of like buses. They're huge. Um, that's the premise of the movie. I mention this because this is one of my favorite movies. I, I love this movie. It's just a classic. Um, Fess Parker is in that movie and he plays this just really wacky character he's he's like this crazy eccentric um he's a pilot of some kind i want to say he's like a crop duster or something like that but he's just really eccentric and the the scientist guy in the movie goes to talk to him in the nut house because everybody thinks he's crazy because he saw these flying ants and the scene with him is just one of the 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 weirder parts of the movie because his character was just kind of manic and and crazy and everything anyway he got cast or got discovered uh by walt according to legend anyway by walt seeing that movie (laughs) wow that thought amuses me greatly because i just can't picture walt disney watching them just those two it's it's like two flavors that don't go together walt disney and this giant ant monster movie i just can't visualize it but the thought of it just cracks me up i i just i'm so tickled by that you know (laughs) well now when you when you started saying that he was a crop duster i thought you were going to say that that he played an important part at the very end where he goes and blows up the giant ant spaceship like no, cousin Eddie no. from um, Independence Day. <laughs> oh, like yeah, yeah. He's kind of almost like that character. Oh my god. Yeah, he's 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 kind of crazy like that character. But yeah, no, he's he's got that one scene uh, where they visit him in the in the mental hospital, and and that was pretty much it. But uh, it's just it just I find it so amusing that that's where you know that's where Walt you know Walt saw him in that and said, "Up oh, there's my guy, there's my Davy Crockett." I just find that very funny. Gosh, now I'm definitely going to have to track down that movie because I've seen giant ant movies, but and usually they're on something like Mystery Science Theater. Right. So <laughs> it's going to be something that I'm going to have to plunk down four bucks on 
Prime Video and watch it probably next weekend. It's good. It is. It's. It's. I mean, if you if you have an appreciation of that sort of thing, you know, you, you have to appreciate black and white. Um, you have to appreciate, um, you know, older science fiction movies for what they are. Mm-hmm. You know, remember there was no you know, CGI that sort of thing, but uh, you know, but it holds up. It's it's a good movie. Um, another thing that I'm I'm really amused by in this uh, in this first episode of Disneyland is uh, Ward Kimball's role in it. Now Ward Kimball uh, is the guy who narrates the whole Tomorrow uh, Tomorrowland segment of this. He was one mm-hmm. of Walt's uh, animators. He's 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 a very eccentric figure of his own and uh and you know really a a legend in a lot of different ways uh for disney you know for the work that he did um but he was chosen he was actually handpicked by walt to do these uh the initial tomorrowland you know the the segments of the disneyland tv show that would be presented from tomorrowland he chose uh ward kimball for those and I find that funny because Ward Kimball, when you see him in these segments, he's very straightforward. He's very matter of fact. He, he's very toned down. And that's totally not his character. Uh, oh Ward Kimball was a very eccentric, very kind of wacky, jokey kind of person. And <laughs> so for Walt to choose somebody whose natural character was so counter to what he wanted because he, he had a mandate for Ward, which was this isn't science fiction. This is science factual. I want this to be believable stuff. We're talking about the future, things that could actually happen within our lifetime, you know, mm-hmm. that yes, they may not exist today, but they're going to exist. And that's the kind of presentation style he wanted. And, and Ward, you know, God bless him. He delivered that. I mean, when you watch like the the eventual programs uh, presented from Tomorrowland, like Man in Space, I mean those Man in Space uh, episodes were so well researched and so well done and so believable that the president of the United States requested copies of them to show his people, and that inspired our real life space program that eventually took us to the moon. That's that's true. Wow. And that's pretty amazing. To, you know, coming from a guy who Walt knew very well, believed in alien life and flying saucers and things like that. And and I find it really funny that despite how science factual this is presented, if you'll notice just before the Tomorrowland segment closes out, Kimball did manage to sneak in some flying saucers. I think that's really cool, too. So out of the four lands that were actually presented. Mm hmm. Which one is your favorite that you've been to? Oh, uh, Tomorrowland, hands down. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I've always been, um, you know, interested in Tomorrow. You know, I, I, and especially I always like uh, retro futurism. You know, the the looking back at how we used to think about the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of the reasons I'm such a, a huge fan of the movie Tomorrowland because that's that's a, a large part of that movie. Um, but yeah, Tomorrowland to me is fascinating and, and I, I just love the whole history of it and everything. Um, yeah, I love all the lands there, but Tomorrowland is, is really, you know, the, the one that's always been nearest and dearest to my heart. 
and it was always the one that was you know most challenging for Walt, both as a, you know a land in his park, but also uh, for the TV show because it was the only land where he didn't have pre-existing content. You know, so anything mm-hmm. that was going to be presented from Tomorrowland, he was going to have to create it because he didn't have a back catalog of of you know movies and films to to draw from for that content. There were no Disney science fiction films or Disney science fiction cartoons, you know, everything had to be created anew for that segment. So that's why Tomorrowland in some ways kind of got short shrift on the TV show because Mm -hmm. there just wasn't that body of pre-existing stuff like there was for pretty much all the other lands. Yeah. And I actually noticed that because it it was for all the others. I mean, you had Davy, you had Bess Parker singing the ballad of Davy Crockett. Then you had, the guy that did Adventureland, who actually went to like seven different countries and did like a right. two-minute clip for each of them. And then Fantasyland, you actually had Uncle Remus, which for some right. reason Walt Disney re- refuses to acknowledge, yet it's right there on the first episode <laughs> of Disneyland, which may be why it's not on Disney+. Plus. I've had that, yeah. I've had that thought myself, which is which is a real shame. That's that's probably not a discussion we want to get into, but I'll just you know anybody that watches this, I, I'm always fearful that they may watch this and find a lot of it boring because uh, there are in the latter half of the episode there there's a lot of time devoted to um, the laughing place segment from Song of the South. Uh, there's several um, Mickey cartoons that are shown mm-hmm. uh, mostly in peace, but some of them are, are like the whole, like Lonesome Ghost. I'm pretty sure that's the whole cartoon unedited. Um, there's the Sorcerer's Apprentice sequence yeah. from Fantasia. So there's a lot of time in this relatively short episode that's devoted to just showing, uh, you know, pre-existing cartoons. And so somebody today might watch that and be kind of bored by it but you have to remember it's very important to place yourself in that time period and in that time period you know in in 1954 there were no reruns there were no vhs tapes there were no dvds there was no access to this material the only way that you ever got to see something again is if it came back to the theater again Mm -hmm. so you know, so a lot of this content being broadcast on TV like that was probably brand spanking new to a lot of the the younger members of the audience. And if it wasn't brand new to them, it was probably really a thrill to them because they had seen it before and probably loved it before. Here was a chance to see it again, um, which was a pretty rare thing back then. It was kind of like if, if you grew up as a kid when. The Wizard of Oz would come on TV once a year. You probably really looked forward to it because it was your only opportunity to ever watch that movie was that one time a year when it would air. And that's been kind of lost in our culture today when you can just take it off the shelf. I now own a copy of The Wizard of Oz on DVD. I don't think I've watched it more than once because now it's at my fingertips. It's kind of lost something Mm -hmm. uh, to where if you wanted to catch it, you better be in front of the TV the one night of the year that it aired. And, yeah, uh, and something magical to that. And Wizard of Oz is actually on demand on the TN right now. Right. So <laughs> in case you're wanting to watch right. that when we are done, Scott, there's your chance. <laughs> I'm playing. No, I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you. I got a whole box of, or a whole shelf of DVDs that 
two-thirds of them you can find on either Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, something like that. So it's like, why pull it out of the box when you can when you have it right at your fingertips? But it was kind of interesting that when we're talking about things being rerun, Walt Disney actually put the exact same ending to the first episode on that um, pre pre-opening so you did right. get to see it twice 10 months did you say yeah yeah so but is there anything else that you would like to add to this because it is getting i mean we're at over an hour of good quality <laughs> contact so i'm so i'm not it's not like i'm pushing you off to say good night or anything like that because god knows we could talk disney until the cows come home oh which absolutely. i think was actually a disney cartoon um no i mean i've i think i've pretty much nailed all my notes i actually uh took a number of notes on this i'm pretty sure i've covered them all Uh, i would just say you know if if, you know your your listeners are are not familiar with this if they've never seen it or if they haven't seen it in a long time uh you know dig it out and give it a, a watch it really is uh worth the look and you know, any Disney fan worth, worth their salt knows the quote from Walt of, you know, I, I only hope we never lose sight of one thing. It was all started by a mouse. That quote comes from this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, you actually see that moment and, and see Walt, uh, you know, make that quote uh, in the second half of the show. So, you know, it, it's got, you know, it's got a lot of um, historical value, this this episode. You know, it's your it's your first you know, the world's first introduction to Disneyland, you know, the concept, um, you know, I, I love, you know, the, the model work, uh, you know, when he's actually touring you down the model of, uh, of main street and everything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just the, the segments with Walt himself, though, though that's worth watching it for, even if you fast forward through everything else, the, the Walt segments are definitely worth watching just for the man's childlike, energy and enthusiasm for this it's it's just that that's really the magic of this episode it's it's good stuff and he's he sold it he he totally sells it okay well scott i like to thank you for coming on tonight because you've more than carried the episode because you know more about disneyland than i definitely do just because you've been there twice makes you more of a subject matter expert than i am (laughs) (laughs) so i would like to thank you for coming on um, well, thank you for having since, me. Since since you are on my show, where can people hear you if they would like to hear you talk about things other than? <laughs> yeah, I, I wish I got the opportunity to talk Disney more than I than I do. But uh, you can hear me uh, spout off on uh, other subjects, mostly related to comic books. Um, I am on the Two True Freaks Network. That's T R U E. Excuse me, T W O rather. <laughs> Oh, it's late and I'm getting punchy. T-W-O-2, uh, T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Uh, on our network, there's a show called Back to the Bins, which is all about uh, me and my buddies selecting uh, random comic book back issues to uh, to read and examine and, and then talk about and often make fun of. Uh, but it's all done respectfully. We are huge comic book nerds and huge comic book fans. So, uh, so come check us out over there sometime. Um, there's a lot of great content on our network, the two true freaks network. I used to do a regular Disney show that, uh, I really miss doing. I, I just haven't had, uh, the, the time or been able to schedule with my, my co-host to, to pick the show back up. 
Um, but, you know, if you want to hear me talk about other Disney things, uh, there, there's content on that site. You just kind of have to hunt for it a little bit, but, uh, but it's out there as well. Well, seeing as how you probably know a whole lot more than, well, I'm, I definitely know that you, just because we've been talking for an hour and 15 minutes, and I think I may have said 200 words about Disney, <laughs> we, we will definitely have you back on because I know there's more that you want to cover including what we're going to be covering next which is the disneyland usa which i yes. think you said was a um, movie that is near and dear to your heart absolutely and yeah. then after that we'll have you on for other things so people will be getting more of a steady diet of scott gardner on this <laughs> show if if you if you don't get enough of him on the two true freaks network so you, you've probably got equal parts people going all right as opposed to people going oh god more of him <laughs> i'll just all right. warn you <laughs> well hey um i'd like to thank everyone who has stuck around for this extended episode because i know most of our episodes don't go this long but when it's when it comes to disneyland you can never go too long i found um, but yeah, if you, if you're still listening and you like what you're hearing, drop us a review on whatever streaming service that you're listening to us on. Cause that's the way that people find out about us. If I got something wrong, because I know I probably did send me an email. The email will be in the outro after the show and we will be back next week with a lot more good stuff. So until then, stay hungry, stay safe, and stay out of the main street whenever the whenever the um, horses are coming through, because they tend to drop <laughs> stuff. Good night, everybody. Thank you for listening. You can send us feedback at BeKindRewindDMP at gmail.com. We welcome any kind of feedback, and it might get read on the air in a future podcast. Once again, the email address is BeKindRewindDMP at gmail.com. If you have a moment, please rate and review our podcast on whatever streaming service you are listening to us on. This and word of mouth are the two ways to help us reach a larger audience. Thank you in advance for doing this. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great day. Goodbye. I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing that was all started by a mouth.